Yo, what up? This is Matt Ashton, and you tune in to Capital Innovation. Mark is not here. Um, Mark is doing being the diplomat that he is and, uh, and spreading the word out and about, so I'm just going to hold the fort for the day. But nonetheless, we have a treat for you all. We have my homie, Charles Walimu. I've known this dude for years. Very solid dude, very great. Um, from the DMV area. So you know we had to represent and respect and, and show love to our own. Um, I'll let Charles talk a lot more about himself, but I'll say this first. He has a really dope project that just released. Um, short film called Finesse Life um, that has a few narratives in there that are really pertinent to today and a lot of the things that have gone on in the past couple of weeks, um, the past couple of years, um, well, the past couple of decades. And, you know, that we'll definitely dig into and discuss, but um, I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So, uh, Charles, thanks for coming to the show. We appreciate you. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for having me, man. It's so good to see you. Back home, it's not too often that we're here. You know nah, what I mean? Not at all. Man. Back home. Yeah, it's always in California exactly. or wait in Chicago or it's York, everywhere from home. where, except for where we actually exactly. from, right? Exactly. What's going on, everybody? I'm uh, going to my third year at NYU, a law student, and I've, I've been into film since undergrad. Probably the senior year of my last year of college at Stanford was when I really started picking up film. I took a production class and really just went from there. I think it was uh, the second year of law, of law school that I wrote this script uh, in the, fir the first semester. So I just, I've always loved film. I always thought that I could uh, convey my ideas and make it dope and also speak to backgrounds that aren't traditionally represented in film. You're used to seeing, of course, uh, Caucasian people and definitely not nuanced perspectives of, of black people right. or people of color. So I'm looking forward to bringing that to the table and um, speaking on things that really matter. Right, right. So I, th I think also, how many more Marvel flicks can we see? You know what I mean? How many <laughs> yeah, more man. like one-dimensional like drug dealer from, from the hood Facts. flicks can we see? So Facts. I'm looking forward to hopefully working with people who are talented like yourself and others and just moving forward and, and building in that way. Definitely, definitely. And um, just to kind of elaborate more on the film, tell me a little bit about Finesse Life. And just a narrative for people who have not seen it, don't spoil certain things for them because we definitely want them to click the links. We'll definitely have the link to the video in the description and um, uh, keep you updated on what Charles is doing. But yeah, just give us a, a brief description on, on, on what, the show, what the short film is about and also kind of your driving motivation behind creating it. So it's, excuse me, it's essentially like a 12 minute flick on gun violence within the black community. It's, it's based in DC, but it deals with issues that I think are, are relative to identity and, and the idea of power within the black community, especially right. young black men, specifically being around Jordans and your image and your clothes. So it's, it's a day in the life of two friends. Uh, essentially, they just go to the gun range and you get a more nuanced perspective of how to, what's the psychology of owning a gun from a, a young black man's mm. perspective. Mm. And so I, I just wrestle with that idea. It's a very short thing. I think I hit a lot of ideas in a short amount of time. And I think that uh, by the end of it, you'll really get what um, you'll really be able to tie it to the current movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, from a different perspective. Right. So I think I just wanted to add a little bit of a, a wrinkle right. because people tend to, to portray the issue of owning a gun uh, in a kind of monolithic way. Of course, uh, they're terrible things, right? right but right. I think there's a, there's a little bit of nuance to there. Right. Uh, to that, especially very binary. It's either right. all form or you're you're totally against them for the most part. Or exactly. Very few, very seldom do you have people who are in the gray area, which is like, hey, you know, I don't approve of them for the this use, but I have them in my home, which is kind of tricky to another extent. But before I dig into the the BLM and um, 
kind of uh, your connection to the overall message that's going around. I just want to give you props because, to my understanding, you wrote this, you directed this, you produced this, of course, but you actually you, you managed this entire project. So talk a little bit just in terms of being a creative, also doing this in the second year of your law school at NYU, which is no joke. Like, how are you able to make this happen? Yeah, man, I think the biggest hurdle, uh, mental hurdle, especially for people who don't come from creative families, mm -hmm. is just doing it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. You, you see all this dope stuff, you see all this material, and of course, like, everybody's a perfectionist, everybody wants to make a phenomenal project, but the, just j jumping over that hurdle was big for me. Yeah. And I think having already made a documentary in undergrad, a mm -hmm. short documentary, I think I had that production experience and that know-how. Right. And I was like, like, let me keep going with this. You know right. what I mean? If right. this is something I love to do, uh, especially if I'm going to be in law school, in law school, everybody knows that's not always fun all the time. I can only imagine. So, so you know, let me find a little bit of balance. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I, I just... First semester, I just wrote when I had off time. And I had this idea in my head that I got to make it about D.C. Mm -hmm. People are getting, black people are getting murdered left and right. Yeah. Um, I, but yet, yet and still, we, we spoke on it. I'm somebody who's who's been to the gun range. I'm somebody who enjoys shooting a gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it's in a safe environment. But right. I thought that it would just be a really relevant and timely thing to, to bring to the discussion and I just ran with it, man. But in terms of the, the process itself, definitely I couldn't have done it without the help of my friends and the actors and right. everybody who was a part of the project. Right. I, like, nobody who you see in that film is a professional actor, so to speak. Lev, right. I think the lead actor is somebody who's acted before, mm -hmm. but they're just my boys, you know what I mean? And, right. and they just sacrificed working. They were like, yeah, yeah, we'll take off you. Because I was coming between D.C. and New York the whole time. Like on that Washington Deluxe bus. That's, that's shout the, out. I shout call out that the discount, Diddy the bonus points. I call that the Diddy route. You know what I'm saying? Back when he was hustling from moving from Harlem back to Howard, from Howard back to Harlem. Exactly. You, know, you need that type of hustle and taking that sacrifice and, you know, spending those dollars and those hours to really make some creative things happen. And if that means you got to bring your boys along with you, even if they might not be Juilliard trained or whatever, right. you know, it's dope. I'd rather young black men collectively bargain together to create products like this than to collectively bargain and um, ultimately hurt each other in a nihilistic fashion. Exactly. You know what I mean? No doubt. No doubt. So, no, it's, an, I think the, the most rewarding thing about the project is having them come up to me and just say like, you make me want to keep going with this. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like you make me want to do something on my own. You Like you make me feel like this is something that, that's intellectually accessible for me now and right. that's the biggest part just get that first project on your belt right and then you go from there you let's talk mean? about that a little bit um as you know capital innovation is primarily a podcast that discusses uh mass incarceration and the innovators and change makers and social innovators who are doing things to kind of disrupt that um whether it be from a reentry perspective to not going to jail in the first place right in many of the communities in in DC, you know, in, in nationwide, where there's, you know, uh, a large black population where there are limited resources, you often find a lot of, of the population have either gone to jail to some extent um, or you know, are in jail who usually are from these families and are no longer there to support them. But what I'm getting to is a lot of the kids that are growing up, they, they might see LeBron on TV but, you know, and they might see a doctor in their community or not. I don't want to profile that because I'm pretty sure those things happen sometimes. But what they do often see is is people coming in and out of jail. And that does affect your psyche because if you see repetition, I believe that you might become used to it to an extent or at least desensitized. 
So I commend you for actually introducing film and media as an outlet and getting people involved. I'm not saying that these kids are, you know, hurting, you know what I mean? Like, or like not, don't have money, but the fact that you're actually introducing something fresh into the, the scene as opposed to just music videos. I, I really want to speak on that too, just yeah. because I, I definitely look at film as a outlet of expression and a career choice, a very viable way to make money right. for right. people that is not presented to, to the black community and especially people in the inner city. Right. I think that it's in particular, it's a pretty insular industry. Mm -hmm. Filmmakers in general, like birth other filmmakers, right? right? Because right. it's accessible to them. But I right. think for my friends and people from this background to see that, like we're, we're, everybody's trying to come up with a solution to take people off the streets, right? right? Channel your energy into something more positive. Right. And school, I wasn't, I wasn't somebody who particularly liked school mm -hmm. either, though we, right. we reached a particularly elite level. Right. I think just presenting it is like, here, this is something that you can do too. Right. And right. I know, like I know, man, there's so many people in this D.C. area that can make dope material, right? right? right. Just based off their experiences, man. Right. And like we're tired of seeing the same narrative on, on TV. So I'm all about it. That's really like the main motivation to me getting into film, in addition, in addition to expressing myself, right. putting other people on and producing for other people so that we can just, you know, get people in a different spot, space, you know what I mean? A hundred percent. Like, I, you know, with the discussion in regards to, you know, the untimely deaths of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling, you see Twitter going uproar about what we should do in terms of solutions, you know. It's always protest, protest. I have no problem with that. I think that's a fundamental part of how we fight um, injustice. However, a lot of people talk about it from an economic standpoint, like, oh, we need to boycott these stores or we need to you know, shop at our own places. But I think there's another element to it where it's like we need to introduce more things into our communities and we need to, everybody talks about cultural appropriation like oh, oh this this community is taking this from us and not giving us the credit and you know stealing our ideas and profiting it off of it but it's like why don't we bottle up our culture ourselves and sell it right, right? right. and we, which is what you're doing you know you're not selling this but you're bottling up the stories the authentic stories of our own people involving other people in those communities in that community around it and you guys are creating a project where everybody shines and everybody eats you know right. what i mean so can you talk more about like your driving motivation to get your homies involved, to get your friends involved, and, and how that process worked? Yeah, man. I think um, because I placed it in D.C., mm -hmm. how many people do? How many actors do you know that can do like an authentic D.C. accent? You know what I mean, <laughs> nah, like, not many. Like not many. Not, yeah, I don't think anybody can. Yeah, if you're yeah. Not from I mean, it's, it's just like this is going to be a challenge throughout my entire career, but just finding people who can authentically portray. Right. An environment. Right. It's like, you know, I go to, if I go and see a flick about ATL, I don't want to see like, I don't know, man, name your big Michael B. Jordan or something like that. Right. I, I mess with him, by the way, right, talented, right. phenomenal yeah, yeah, actor, but I don't want to see necessarily him play somebody from ATL, like somebody from, you know what I mean? Like, you that's want the project. I want somebody from there and right. you can hear it and you can feel it. Right. So I think my motivation with this project and of course, we could have casted it so many different ways. I could have like done some other friends, but I think that with them, I gave them the script, and they they immediately knew. Oh, this story is familiar to me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I know what places you're talking about. Right. And um, they can just live the role. They're put, I'm not gonna say they're being themselves, right? They, right? they definitely occupy persona, but it's not hard. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's and especially for somebody who isn't trained in acting, it was a I think a easier jump for them to make. Right. right? I think we need to get more kids involved in a lot of these 
media outlets in terms of creating their own media, especially because to purchase a camera is not as expensive as it used to be. And I'm not, I think that we as people who are already aware of the benefits of kind of introducing new tech, not necessarily new tech, but available tech into a space where it wasn't really as available before and guidance in terms of how to create films and how to set up studios in these neighborhoods so that kids can actually vent for cheap costs, you know, or damn near free, you know, uh, create outlets and podcasts where we can, such as this one, where we can bring youth, um, such as Sharnay Rayford, um, who's 14, who's already making a difference and be able to shine a light on that. We definitely need to up our media game in terms of how we highlight our communities and, 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 and get others involved so that we can kind of create that continuum of black success and, 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 and black collaborative efforts um let's do a quick pivot um i think when the video dropped or at least when i started seeing it pubbed on facebook this was like a day or t before or after the first like was it altus sterling shooting it was, it was the day of the day of. Yeah, i didn't even know i didn't even know at the time actually quite the rollout yeah man so i mean unfortunately when i was writing this script i knew that no matter when i dropped it, it was going to be timely yeah because <laughs> of the day and age that we're, we're living in i knew that whether it was a month before or a month after another black person was going to be murdered. Right. Like there was going to be another vine, you know? So yeah. unfortunately, the day of this happened, I happened to be at, a, at an event at my law firm the whole day, like off the mat in Brighton Beach. Right. And then I came back and of course, like uploading these videos, it takes time. Like I just left that jump while I was at the event. Yeah. And I come back, it's, it's on there. I posted it. And then my man hits me. He's like, yo, did you hear about on Sterling? I was like, what? And then... And then I, at first, I, when I first released the video, I was like, let me just make this a relaxed release. Yeah. People are going to see what it's about, right? Right, right, right. But then it came out, and then I, I had to say something, right? Like, Alton right. Sterling got murdered, and I had to, like, tie the two. Right. I had to say, please, like, whatever feeling you're feeling, please tie it to the, you know, right. feed that feeling. Because right. it's the spectrum of violence, like, this is it. This is what I've uh, we've been wrestling with for a long time. So right. it was unfortunately very timely. Yeah. Now, in uh, in the video, in, in the short film, there are no police officers so there's no real dialogue as, as, as in regards to police brutality but there is another hot topic that is discussed which is gun control right which always happens with these shootings whether it be a black person being shot by a police officer or a lone shooter going into a charleston church um you know or an elementary school what have you we we've seen it all heard it all at this point um in regards to gun control just talk a little bit, a bit about giving the listeners uh, kind of a, a, a preview of what was discussed between two black men and two young black men in regards to gun control. And uh, I'll, I'll kind of piggyback off of that once you're finished. Sure, sure. So essentially, one of the characters brings guns, like one of, like a pistol and then the other one a semi-automatic mm -hmm. rifle. And then the other dude, he's never been to the range. Clearly, he's not the guy who's about that life, so to speak. Right. It's like, how the hell did you get get these weapons like you're my friend you're my peer we're young dudes like normal dudes how did you get this and then the other dudes like it, essentially it wasn't hard right mm -hmm. and then the other dudes more or less going off tying it to the fact that like you know black people are getting murdered all the time right by these uh weapons of, of destruction right right and then this is the other a slightly more nuanced perspective and of course we've heard it it's just like guns don't kill people people, people kill, kill people, people right and yeah. in, in different language yeah um, and I think that the, his most important line that you'll, that you'll hear is just that when the guy who's not about the life is essentially like, 
you know, white people all over the country talking about the Second Amendment, right? Mm -hmm. The right to bear arms is one of the most fundamental rights of Americans. But it's like that's whack. Like, why do we need? Like, why do we need these guns? It's killing people, right? right that's a right. whack. That's a that's a dumb right. 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 And then the other guy is essentially like, wait a minute, like. We see all these cops getting killed, like all these cops killing us, right? Like, right. what's going to stop them from killing me, right? Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. that. And then mm -hmm. also, like, the Founding Fathers put the Second Amendment in the Constitution to essentially stop and prevent that. Mm -hmm. the, the government, like the enforcement arm of the government, oppressing people, right? right. That's what Britain did to yeah. the U.S., right? right? Not the U.S. And so he's essentially saying, this is why we have guns. Right. And this is why we need guns. Right. To, and like um, coming from a black person, people don't think about that. Right. right? You know, and yeah. it, it, I think it gets at the rage and the anger of what's going on right now. And I think it's a very rational way to think about it. Right. I mean, it's essentially it's whether you agree with it or not, it's like a check or checks and balance system right. for civilians against the government. Right. And, you know, you talk about that's kind of like the essence of conservatism conservatism is which is you know um limited government almost out of fear i wouldn't say fear for our um conservative listeners but um in kind of a reserved fashion to make sure that the government quote unquote does not take over right which has happened in um civilizations before us and currently today in other countries yeah i, I definitely say like writing the character of course you have to hear that line and you have to be like Nah, it's a little, you know, it's a little bit different than that, right? Yeah. Like, it can't be like that. But then you have to still say, like, but he's kind of right, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially, like, I, I can't blame him for feeling that way, given what we're witnessing right in front of our eyes. Right. I mean, you just saw uh, in Turkey. Did you hear about Turkey? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the coup. military coup? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, so there, yeah, it's always shades of gray when you come into these type of... Um, discussions you know um, right man no no i, I think it's it, not it's never binary you know yeah and I, and I think that um the issue of gun ownership within the black community itself is just something that we'll, ha we'll have to tackle and that it kind of ties back into the blm movement right you know if we're if we're to seriously confront the idea that all black lives matter right right, right. both those that are being taken away by police and you know, by the hands of our brothers and sisters. Like, right. it's a spectrum, and I think that you'll agree. I'd, mm -hmm. be, I'd love to talk about it. The, yeah. the two issues can exist at the same time, right? right? And we right. can confront them at the same time. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that's what I, I you know, I, I commend Black Lives Matter, you know, but I, I definitely believe that there's such thing as offense and defense, mm -hmm. right? I don't think, I mean, I think Black Lives Matter would agree. <laughs> like, nobody's saying, like, there's no black-on-black -black crime. Like, right. we know that, right? right? But... As much as we have a, a obligation to handle our own, which we do, because society and the media makes it seem like there are no coalitions and there are no organizations that have been around for decades and years to fight violence within our own. But right. it's like, bro, we can't talk to y'all too about not coming into the party and messing with us as well. Like, are we not allowed to have, you know, multiple branches? You know, like I've had a conversation with my friend about this. And I'm, I'm like, so happy we're speaking on this, by the way. Let's yeah, I'm trying. You know, I'm on the podcast. Mark isn't here today, so I'm trying to keep it as a as cool as possible. But I got to be real. Like, um, you talk about the U.S. just in terms of a, of a nation, in terms of its military. Um, it doesn't. The Navy is the granddaddy of them all. It was the first, right? But we also have an army. We also have an air force. Um, we have the Marines, which affiliated with the Navy. We have the Coast Guard. We have the National Guard. We have the Green Berets, we have so many different uh, branches and sub-branches that have um, certain, like they take a certain piece of the pie, right? 
And if you only had one, like if you only just just had the Navy and just had kind of big ships, then what are you going to do in terms of an air assault? You know what I mean? Right. Like what you what we need and what we need to continue to build. And I believe we have these organizations within our community, but we need more of them and we need to reinforce the ones. It's not just have a Black Lives Matter, not just have a Campaign Zero, not just ha not just have only a DeRay McKesson or Janetta Elsie. We those should be. Those are our generation's granddaddies. That's our Navy. This is the, the innovators. We need to take cues from them and realize what's also missing from this new pie that we have to cover and create other coalitions to make sure that we handle all of our bases. That's my personal opinion. We can't just assume that Black Lives Matter is going to be able to do every and all things in regards to us. That's like assuming that the NAACP is going to handle everything. And I feel like that's something that's hurt us in the past instead of just being able to decentralize sometimes and have certain groups and coalitions who have a competitive advantage actually handle certain projects, certain problems that we've been facing. What do you think? Does that make sense? No, that, that makes perfect sense to me. And I think that something that I've been wanting to say, at least for opponents of the BLM movement who want to say, like, like Rudy Giuliani, right? Right. He wants to say, like, don't talk to me about cops killing black people because y'all are killing each other all the time, like, in the, right? Right. And so my response, I guess, is, is twofold, right? He's essentially saying, like, it takes respect to get respect, right? Right. Like I'm not gonna respect your lives until like you respect each other's. And like in, in my mind, like that's not how human life works, right? right? You know, like you know, like hey, bro, the dignity right? of human existence it, it shouldn't be a quid pro quo thing, right? right? Like right, right. that's like we deserve to live and stop, right? That's regardless. It, right. That's it. That should be the end right. of the conversation right there. And then and then another way that I think I, I tend to look at that argument is like and white people who say it is like they're like you clean your house, I'll clean mine, right? <laughs> it's, it's like, you clean your people and I'll clean my cops. But, but the problem with that argument is like, when you say, white, when white people say, I'm going to clean my house, like, what do you mean your house? <laughs> right. The cops are ours, right? Because right? you, like, like, you got white cops, mostly white cops, policing uh, majority black areas. So it's like, if, that, if you're going to go with that logic, then there should just be black police officers operating over majority black neighborhoods and that's not going to happen so that logic is is flawed innately you know? yeah yeah and it's like they're, they're speaking on the, the administrative state as if like we don't vote and as if we're not citizens of this country right as right. if like this is not our police force right and what we're saying as voters and, and americans is that we would like them to do it differently right. and so like this is your like this is your force and this is my force so i have a right to speak on what you're doing and and essentially you're, you're you're mass exterminating us, right? Right, right? So it's just a kind of crazy audacity and arrogance throughout the whole process that's been, of course, troubling. Ooh. <laughs> um, to kind of to piggyback off that in regards to uh, police officers, I have police officers in my family, as do many other blacks. It's like, it's, let's not act like, you know, it's just a binary kind of situation. Once again, I hate to use that word all the time, but I have uncles that have, that have retired detectives that have served our community. So when it comes to police, it's, you can't just approach it as if it's just all police are bad, inherently bad, or all police are inherently good. And what I hate about these discussions as it pertains to the media is that it always comes down to that. It's always left versus right, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As opposed to shades of gray. Right. And 
I don't know. It's just it's it's it's, it's a tough thing to handle. But in regards to black on black crime, yeah, uh, Rudy Giuliani tried to cite. He said like ninety eight percent, or I think it's closer to ninety percent black on black violence mm. as opposed to eighty two percent white on white violence, which is statistically not that far off. But you had mentioned a, a Washington Post article that you mentioned to me um, regarding how if you actually adjust for the population rates, right? Like, you know, African-Americans only make 13% of the population. Right. You know, um, the statistics actually show that in regards to police brutality, um, blacks are over-indexed as opposed to uh, whites that are under-indexed. So what are your thoughts on that generally? Like, what's been going through your head? Um, I, I think a statistic that, that pops out of my mind from that article is that when you control for population, unarmed black people are five times more likely Yeah to be killed by a policeman than unarmed white people. And I think that my feeling, I think the feeling of a lot of people of color is that we're essentially born and taught from a, from a young age, like, don't say anything, you know, right. don't do anything, just act in line. Like, there's an inherent distrust. People talk about that. I don't think that we need to, uh, like, really get into it, other than the fact that white people start from a completely different starting point. For them, the policemen are the most trusted, you know, s- symbol of American freedom, the beacon heroes. of hope, right? The yeah, heroes. exactly. Like, like the good heroes. guys, the yeah. good guys, right? right? And it's we look at them as the bad guys. Protect and serve. Right, right, yeah. right. And so I think, like, using statistics about whether or not black people are more prone to violence, like, whether or not white people are killed more than black people, which is, you know, false... It, it essentially just detracts from the point. And in my opinion, it, it expresses a kind of hubris and pride mm-hmm. and unwillingness to confront the racial issue. And I think that white people, I mean, nobody likes to be told about themselves, right? right? Yeah. But I think that we're at a juncture in which uh, like, white people are being told about themselves and they feel like everything's been racially okay in this country. And like they see Obama in office, they see black people in all these positions, and they essentially are just flexing back audaciously and arrogantly. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I think the resort to those type of statistics just detracts from the, the actual issue, which, right. you know, we don't have to argue about it because we see it every right, day, right? right? <laughs> like, what are right. we talking about? Right. We, we just see this. <laughs> right. So. And, and, you know, they make it, once again, they make it, seem like we're 100% against police where that is not the case right. like that is definitely not the case you know I've had running with the police and you know they show me love I know that that's a unique story to me that doesn't that doesn't so I, it's not my right to just say well since they showed me love that they showing all black people love and that was that one situation with that one cop and me you know what right. I mean on that night right under right. those circumstances right but the fact that it's happening at a, an alarming rate is ridiculous and the fact that it's happening five times the rate in terms of unarmed black men as opposed to unarmed whites is also ridiculous. So, you know, it's just a lot to discuss. But um, That's an interesting perspective, yeah. too, that you present, given that you come from, like, a family with cops. Yeah. It sounds like, despite the experience that you have, you have mm-hmm. a surface-level idea of empathy, right? Yeah, yeah. An idea to be like, okay, I can see how other people can have different experiences. Yeah, yeah. White people want to flex... Right, <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's it's not because I am black. It is because I see it. Right, exactly. I see the videos. It. it has nothing to do. I mean, yes, I do empathize with that because I see another black man getting shot up and and, and wet up in his car with his girl in in the, in the driver's seat and his daughter in the back seat and 
you know, that that messes me up every single time. But I like to believe that despite me being an African-American man, seeing that video touches something in you. I don't see how you can just examine that video and look for flaws in terms right. of how that young man interacted with the police. I just don't see it. Do you think the media has a lot to do with making it a, a white, yeah. black issue? Or do you I, think that's on both sides it's inherent? I think that's just the media. That's 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 the media in general and it's not the media's fault it's it's capitalism right media outlets are supposed to are based on ratings you got to get the best ratings like you know what i mean like have you seen a movie nightcrawler with jake gyllenhaal yeah yeah it's it's it's, it's very similar to that it's like look you know at the end of the day the news was more impartial decades ago when money didn't really play into it like that when it was evening news but, you know, they had some problems with that as well. But you look at the CNNs and the Fox Newses today, they have to maintain a certain level of revenue-generating attention. And so the narratives have to be, I don't want to say puffed up, but how the story is presented has to be done in a way that creates clicks, generates clicks, right. uh, uh, airplay, you know, so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. you you got to be... you. you 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 you'd be in denial if you were to say that the our news outlets and our media outlets aren't skewed into and 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 jaded in terms of getting the best ratings. Absolutely, that's yeah. what I feel. Yeah, and I mean that's just not it's not their fault. It's just it's capitalism. That's mm-hmm. just the world that we that's the country that we live in. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think uh, this Trump. It's all interrelated these days, right? Yeah, and yeah. The Trump phenomenon is just that. I think I saw something in the Times like they're interviewing people who support him, right? Mm-hmm. And people are saying more or less like. Everybody else is grouping up based on race. You know what I mean? Like, black people are, like, uniting against us, so we have to unite, right? It's, it's, a, it's a very scary thought, right? Look, and I, when mm-hmm. I think that black people all over want anything but, right? right? right. I think that's all our, yeah, everybody's I, goal, and right? That's not, that's, that's not true. Like, we're not trying to group up and, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, throw our own coup. We just... right. Want respect? That's all it is. I think it, it comes down to respect. It's a fundamental like issue else. of respect. I right. couldn't agree more. Right. I couldn't agree more. Right. I yeah. think like, and let me know if we're getting too, uh, you know, civil rights. We're not oriented. live on air, man. Okay. Yeah. Nah, Mark goes in, bro. Okay. So, cool. Uh, cool. Cool. <laughs> cool. 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 So I mean, on the respect issue, I feel as though, I feel as though, the, the phenomenon of police killing black men is an issue. Of respect in that they don't respect black men mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i think that some 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 some, some. but I, I think that let's just let's just say um let's tie it into the and this is going to get a little bit more controversial but mm-hmm. tie it into the dallas shootings right right like we wars and revolutions have been started by far lesser offenses yeah. i've been saying this over and over again. right like we we praise, especially within the black community, we praise the Nat Turners, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because he had the conviction, he and others had the conviction to stand up, right? right, right. When they were being oppressed, right. we praise the American revolutionaries for mm-hmm. breaking away and starting a war for their independence, mm-hmm. taxation, taxation without, without representation, you know, the whole thing, yeah. whole mm-hmm. thing, right? And yet we deny the black man's right to his rage, mm-hmm. the black man's right to his feeling, mm-hmm. when over time he's been like. In the last few years, he just sees people being killed without recompense. I don't feel like that, like, and that's the issue, right? And I think when when police say like, just get into like, 
just get in line, you know, just act this way, just do this, just do that. Right, like, right. like after a while, I'm unable to do that because it's like being beaten over and over the like over, over and over again, right? Right, right? Eventually, like you're gonna fire back, and and to say that don't fire back because they're gonna like white people are gonna get angry and it's gonna get more violent. That's that's the fundamental part of the problem. Right. You know, we can't we can't act like that urge doesn't exist. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I'm probably gonna edit this part out. But you, my dad told me like you you corner a fox, you know, he's gonna strike back. But in any other scenario, when that fox is in open space, that fox is not going to mess with you. Right. So, uh, I think that's just—it's just the nature of things. Right. You know? and, and it's not to condone the violence, but it not is not at all. Like, it is to say, and also to—I have—I know so many enlightened people of color who are saying responding with violence is wrong, and I think that violence is wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I think that we agree on that. I right. think that we're advanced enough to, to recognize that right but to say that the black man or woman should not express like I, I i guess let's frame it this way right gandhi martin luther king right right yeah. people who were able to channel their rage of their oppression mm -hmm. through peaceful means mm -hmm. they are exceptional mm -hmm. <clears throat> the individual who channels his rage through violent means is not mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. and so let's not act like the the urge for violence is not a natural phenomenon. Okay, like I, we all want to be exemplary, we all want to be nonviolent. That's the goal, but let's not you know, let's let's not act like this isn't a viable way to react. Right, let's not act like this has not happened throughout all of time. Like I'm <laughs> I'm trying to go back to like yo, when was the first war? Either you know, depending on what religion that you you subscribe to, it's like usually during the inception of that 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 story or whatever book or even if you don't believe in that and you just believe in when you were born or like uh, as far back as the books go there's always been violence embedded in every single country every single narrative of how each country and how each region came to be you know what i mean like in, in my conversation when i talked to black people was like yeah let's not act like martin luther king was the only person that we revered and let's not act like back in the day that everybody was supporting martin luther king there were people who were supporting malcolm x what about the black panthers what about huey p you know what about stokely carmichael what about all these other guys why do we just talk about brother king like like that you know as he should be but it's like why why do we make it seem like black people shouldn't be violent when everybody else is right and 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 it's, I think that's the systematic ripping away of the black man's right to his emotions, right. the black man's right to be prideful, to right. be himself. Right. Because the white person, you know, but like nobody says don't be violent. Like when somebody, yeah. Yeah, it's not yeah. a thing. I, 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 go, go ahead. Yeah, I was telling my, I was talking to my grandfather because um, I was like, pop, like, I was like, how do we get over this? You know what I'm saying? Like he was, he was calling me. He was like, yo, let's talk about it. And that was the first time me and him have really had a conversation as it pertains to race. Um, we could talk about all the problems and all that, but I was like, yo, what solutions can we come up with? And, you know, my grandfather had served in Vietnam. Um, um, and as many people know, that was not the most successful war that the U.S. has fought for a multitude of reasons. But I asked him because he was on the front lines and whatnot, especially as a black man in the military back then where, you know, they, you know, the black officers pretty much kept to themselves. But I said, yo, since you were there, why did the, the Viet Cong, the Vietnamese, uh, soldiers why were they so successful in terms of fighting the powerhouse that is the united states 
he said the tactics that they used, they realized that they were smaller in numbers. So they had to change the tactics in which how they approached the war. You know, they would come out of nowhere. They would jump from out the trees. They would use tactics. And because they knew the terrain so well and they knew themselves so well, they were able to pose a threat when most other countries just tried to face America head on. Mm-hmm. And you're going to lose that every single time. Right. And I think that's indicative in terms of just metaphorically, with a, from a nonviolent perspective, how we need to approach certain things. Um, just taking away some nuggets from that, we can't use the same revolutionary tactics that have been done before facing them head on. We have to adapt. We have to know ourselves. We have to know, you know, our strengths as well as our weaknesses in order to come up with a strategy that's actually going to make an impact. But I do believe it can be done. Right. Right. I agree. And I, I think last thing I, I want to say on it is just that if you ask us as a people – Black people, be exceptional, right? Be peaceful. Be nonviolent. I have to say to you, especially the people who say that cops have tough jobs. You know what I mean? Like, they're they're in violent communities. Like, you know, they're on edge. They can't solve all these problems. Your job as a cop is to be exceptional. Thank you. Right? Like, like you're you're supposed to be the best of our society. I don't know what oath they say, but you swear to protect da 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 da. Like you're supposed to be the best. So if you act, if you ask me to be exceptional, then I ask you to be exceptional, right? Especially because you're paid to be here. Right, right. Right. So like, (laughs) you wouldn't be in my hood any other circumstances, but you're paid to be here. So I saw Charles Barkley say something on the ESPYS in terms of Mm -hmm. kind of apologizing for the police in terms of well, you know, adrenaline's rushing and yada yada yada. I'm like, bro, you getting paid to do this. Right, right, right. You getting trained to do you this. You get trained. You, <laughs> you get wear trained. the badge. You get trained, bro. You get trained. So it's like... Using our taxpaying dollars. Right. And we're not even saying save the world, right? Right. We're saying be exceptional. Yeah. Keep your... Use some keep, tactics. Keep your suspects alive. Use some tactics. <laughs> keep your, like, that's, that's the simplest of, right. of requests. Keep your suspects alive. You're trained to do that. Right? Every, everybody talks about our superheroes, our Supermans, our Batman. Like, besides this recent movie that came out. Superman and Batman and most of these heroes have always been great because they never killed the villains. Mm-hmm. They never killed them. There you go. And right? stop. And stop. So how am I to, how am I supposed to view you as this hero when you take the easy route? Right. And it's like it's no no in no other job do we do we give people an easy out like that. Right. Only congressmen in this city do we give them an easy right. out where they can literally not come to work. Right. And that's a totally different <laughs> right. conversation. And that's a whole that, other that, thing. That'll, that'll turn into something totally else. That's, that's a whole totally other thing. But yeah. But yeah, man. I, and I, it's just like. And I also I, I want to know like yo you know, uh, I will say that the the police is a fraternity. Mm-hmm. I will not say it's a gang. Because I really don't want to get into the jargon like that. And there is an actual fraternal order, the police. But, dog, police your own. You're supposed to have internal affairs. Right. What is supposed to make organizations great, whether they be in the private industry or the government industry, is that they're supposed to be able to police and, 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 and check their own. Right. And if there's no checks and balances and no consequences uh, uh, on police that have done wrong by police. That's what I'm asking for. I'm looking for justice from the police. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like right. when that you know when that dude goes back into that locker room or to that precinct, yo, what's what's good? What's what's, what's, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, get like, your people. Like, I, right. Like clean your own house. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you I'll have clean to, mine. You right. Know what right. I'm right. <laughs> and you and you have to applaud 
the cops who have started to stand up, right? right. You see these little videos of like cops right. and I don't know where she was from. Right, 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 yeah. But you know, yeah. standing up and saying like, no, these are bad apples. Like they're, they're like sad excuses for cops or whatever. And I think there were some New York cops that did something similar. But like, then you take the bad batch, you take them out the batch. Right, exactly, exactly. So it doesn't spoil the whole batch. Exactly. So like, let's let's hear more of those people, right? Right. And like, let's get them to aspire to be those type of cops. Right. I think. I mean, I think a part of the problem too is that. The whole, like, people, I feel like a lot of people sign up to be cops because they view themselves as, as the good guys, mm-hmm. rooting out the bad, right? Mm-hmm. Fighting evil, good mm-hmm. versus evil, right? Mm-hmm. And once you unpack that, that begins to be an evil mentality, like, not an evil, a problematic mentality when you come into the whole racial bias thing, right? Because right. then cops start to look at, especially all these black people, like, as bad, right? right? You know, on the front end. So that whole police culture, I think, way of looking at the good versus evil concept, good versus bad. I mean, I think the NRA slogan is like, how do you stop a bad guy with a gun? A good, good guy, guy with, with a gun, gun right? right? So, I mean, I think that whole way of looking at things is just whack, bro. Right. But and then it's like, but how are you defining the bad guy? Right. And That's you, what I want to know. Like, what's the definition for that, you know? Um, black. <laughs> because when, you know, when Castillo was was killed and gunned down in his car, he had, uh, per, he had his own uh, permit for his gun. You know, so wouldn't that be the perfect opportunity for the NRA to stand up and, and defend that person? Right, exactly, right? exactly. Right, exactly. if we just go on, if, if, if none of your organizations have, you know, implicit racial bias embedded within in your organizations, then we expect you to be impartial in regards to your critiques and your um, official statements right. um, that you so conveniently withhold as it pertains to African Americans who are have their permits and have their stuff together, you just all of a sudden magically become quiet. But um, yeah, man, we can go down that rabbit hole fast. Right, um, right, right, right. No. <laughs> I don't know how much of this we'll use, but it's good to have the conversation.